I don't believe a visit with wrestling fans here throughout Western Europe on the Sky Channel would be complete unless we have an opportunity to visit with some of the champions in the World Wrestling Federation. Right now, the Intercontinental Champion of the World Worldwide is my guest. He is from the United States, and he is certainly not a stranger to astute to observant wrestling fans anywhere in the world. Macho Man, Randy Savage. Welcome to this wonderful part of the world, Western Europe. Welcome once again, wrestling fans, to another episode, another volume of Classic Wrestling Memories. I am your host, Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, and it never gets easy to do shows like this, uh, which, of course, every so often happens probably more often than we care to admit, but we wind up doing one of these shows in tribute, and there is, of course, evidence in past shows that we wanted to do a show on this man before he passed, and unfortunately we didn't make it in time. As the opening stinger pointed out, this volume of Classic Wrestling Memories is being devoted to the life and career of the late, great, mean Gene Okerlund. And I've said before, I think my my co-host and I have said before, that if Gordon Soley was the greatest play-by-play of all time, and if Bobby Heenan was the greatest manager of all time, that Gene Oakland would probably be the greatest interviewer of all time. And once again, joining me, since I don't have to do this alone, from a nice soft padded cell in the South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I concur totally, Seth, with what you just said. I think he was probably the best interviewer. Gordon was a good interviewer, and there have been other good interviewers, but nobody was um, uh, as good interviews as Gene Oakland. And uh, as much as good old JR and, and Gordon and Bob Cottle and Tony Schiavone, so many other people are the soundtrack of wrestling for years. Uh, I think Gene's voice, you have to throw it right in there. He's part of the soundtrack of, of what wrestling is for so many North American fans for, gosh, what, 30, 40 plus years? Yeah, easily. Uh, what I had written down as something that I think absolutely is true to the letter Gene Oakland was one of those people where I think you kind of could call him that superstar level, not necessarily that he was lauded or or hounded or, you know, crowds gathered around him in public places. But I think Gene is one of those people that even for people who may not have watched wrestling, uh, certainly people who watched wrestling regularly knew, knew who he was. But I think Gene was one of those people, even if you didn't watch wrestling regularly, you probably at least recognized who he was, even if you didn't know his name. Sure. I, I mean, there's so many famous clips uh, that would, you know, leak over into mainstream media, be it, you know, an intro package for um, a wrestler on a talk show or something on the news or, or maybe a story on, on like a news show. A lot of those clips were interviews, and who was the guy holding the mic doing the interviews? I mean, Gene Okerlund. So, yeah, I totally agree with that as well. And when you think of the fact that Gene had memorable runs in all three of the major wrestling promotions since the 1970s, I mean, we'll go over them each as we go along, but he had prominent roles in AWA, WWE, and WCW. And uh, a lot of people may not know this, but... While you may have seen him for so many years in wrestling, he actually has a background in radio and in video because he was a DJ in the 60s. Of course, Gene was born in 1942 in South Dakota, and his real name is Eugene Arthur Okerlund. And as fate would have it, something that's kind of funny is when he got married in the mid-60s, he was one of those who stayed married all of his life. His wife's name was also Gene uh, with a J. I don't know if you knew that train or not. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I might have heard it, but I had forgotten it. So uh, <laughs> that is kind of Gene and Gene. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eugene Arthur. That's it. I don't know. That just sounds like a name from the 1940s, doesn't it? It's yes. Quite, and, yeah, absolutely. Quite apropos. <laughs> yeah. And one of the lesser known pieces of info that has become more prominent or at least been put in a more prominent light is that. He did have some musical experience. You know, you may have 
seen him sing from time to time on WWE programming. And in fact, if you go back to the original WrestleMania from 1985, it's actually Mean Gene, of all people, opening the show with the national anthem. And I think he did quite well, uh, but I don't think he ever did that, at least certainly not for other major shows. I mean, uh, did you know that Gene could sing outside of maybe the uh, little vignettes where he might have sang in in comedy segments? Yeah, yeah, I, d- I did know that. I, I knew his background was in radio, uh, and, and some of that was from a musical standpoint. Uh, I mean, come on, he had... Not that he was an unattractive man. He was he was he was not at all. He just had a radio voice. I think you understand what I mean when I say that. Certain yes. people just I mean it's like Morgan Freeman is a movie actor, but had he never done movies, he has a radio voice. There's just certain people that have there's a reason why James Earl Jones was cast to be the voice of a character that you were never gonna see the face of, right? You get you right. get my point. So Yeah. But in the nineteen sixties he did actually have a band that recorded some songs. So I'm going to play for you here if you haven't heard it. This is a young Gene Okerlund, probably early 20s in age. So it was recorded probably in the early to mid-60s. And this was his band, which went under the name Gene Carroll and the Shades. And you may not have guessed it beforehand, but I think you can tell hearing the singing voice that this is a young Gene Okerlund because it sounds like just a little high pitch, higher pitch, though. <laughs> Is it ever gonna happen? Is it ever gonna be? Is it ever gonna happen? Maybe not to me. Oh, it's well, 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 tell me. And I got a funny feeling. The feeling's going round. Got a funny feeling. Maybe not a time. Now, Train, I think you can kind of tell that that definitely sounded like Gene Oakland, just, you know, a little bit higher oh, yeah, pitch because he was younger. Yeah, you, you can tell that was Gene singing. Chan a little bit of Roy Orbison there, or am I wrong in making that comparison? Oh, not at all. I think literally probably the only thing missing from that track would have been uh, a piano solo laid down by the killer himself, Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> well, it just, it just kind of – I mean, I know, t- I know Wink, Texas is a long way from South Dakota, but, I mean – it it was it's definitely from the era you're talking about. That is definitely uh early to mid 60s sounding track. Yes indeed. So, as we talked about, uh he was born in 1942 in South Dakota and after college he actually moved to Minnesota and worked at the station WAIT. I think he was one of those people that would appear both on and, and off camera. I mean, he actually probably did some production work. But him living in Minnesota, of course, any fan of territory wrestling, that is where the AWA was based out of all those those decades. So around 1970, Gene Oakland did join the AWA and was one of their main stick guys, you know, essentially interviewing wrestlers. And you can find a lot of the stuff he did for the AWA on the WWE Network as as well as YouTube. And while Hulk Hogan may have been the most famous person to call him Mean Gene, Hogan was not the originator of that name. Uh, Trent, did you know who originally gave Gene the nickname Mean Gene? Well, my, my guess would be one of three people since he was an AWA guy, and it would either be Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher, or Larry the Axe Henning. It had, it had to be one of those three. Or maybe maybe Mad Dog Vachon? Who, who, it's, it's an AWA guy. I know that. Yes, it would be AWA. Uh, it was not any of those guys you Whoa. mentioned. It was actually Jesse the Body Ventura. Okay, that makes sense. I could see that part of his. Uh, that would be part of his rap. You know, that yeah. would fit his, his promo style. And, of course, as a lot of fans would know, Gene Oakland is like anything but mean. You know, he always comes across as one of the nicest guys in the world. And I've heard that's that was the case in real life, too. So it was one of those ironies where a man who absolutely is not mean is given the name mean. Yeah, I mean, Jesse Ventura would deliver that with a swagger, you know, the, the me Gene kind of like, you know, I, I don't know why I pictured Bad Dog Vachon. I could just hear him saying it in that growl of his to me Gene, yeah. you know, something <laughs> like that. But you know, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, I, I, that's when I first came to knowing uh, Gene's work. I got into the AWA through tape trading in the 80s. Uh, I, I think I've, I've said before, 
obviously everybody know listens to our shows know that I'm a Crockett guy growing up in the Carolinas in the eighties. Uh, but I really am a big fan of the late seventies, early 80 run of AWA. And that's where I've, you know, uh, my, my, my earliest memories of mean gene, besides the stuff I was seeing at the time as a kid on the WWF stuff was him holding the stick interviewing Bobby Heen and Nick Bockwinkle and, and Ray Stevens, you know, or, uh, early st- plus, you know, AWA kind of had a working agreement with the Crockett. So even in the early eighties, uh, and the mid eighties, when guys like the road warriors would come down from the AWA to r- wrestle for the Crockett's before they wrestle for them full time, they would send a package. And so we would see on our local television here on mid Atlantic championship wrestling, a package of gene interviewing the road warriors and Paul Ellery, you know? Uh, so that was my first exposure to, to, to Gene. And really, I don't think his, his, his style didn't really change from one company to the other. I think he became a little bit more bombastic and over the top once he got with Vince. But I think Vince demanded that of everybody, especially in that era. I guess Gene was always the, you know, he was that level headed voice of reason uh, when wrestlers were so over the top. And, 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 you know, so many guys in that era's promo style was shouting and screaming. And Gene was just, you know, the the the, the steady, cool hand, and, and you know, it's um, I think probably what made him so good. Uh, I I think I, I think you and I were discussing off mic as a, as a wrestler, what I loved about Gene and why I think he's the greatest interviewer. Uh, yeah, the voice was good. He had the look. He wore, you know, he looked good in a suit and all that kind of stuff. But go back and watch gene whether you watch the old awa stuff or the stuff from the 80s with vince or the stuff in the 90s with turner he was the guy who could hang but not get in the way of a great promo like a hogan or a flair or a piper or somebody like that but also which is which by the way is a, is a skill in and of itself many guys can't do that he also could take the lesser uh skilled interview guys promo guys and make them better he was really good at taking guys who were not strong Mike guys and steering them back on course if they got off course. Um, you know, I'm thinking guys like Bret Hart. I'm thinking guys, some of the guys with the over the top kind of promo styles, like a, like an Ultimate Warrior. I mean, he was just so great at kind of guys like that can be like you know, you know, it's it kind of like uh, an old the old Southern phrase, her in a room full of cats. <laughs> he can mm-hmm. be like that, and he was the guy who could do it. I mean. The warrior, the ultimate warrior, uh, his promos were never great. They were always better when it was Gene interviewing him as opposed to him just standing in front of a backdrop and cutting a promo because Gene could get Warrior kind of back on track. I think you understand what I'm saying when I say that. Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to find one of those promos, and the one that I did manage to find is actually with a guy who was known for cutting very good promos, and I'm talking about the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, but he actually had, DiBiase, I mean, a brief babyface run in WCW during the NWO days. And he obviously by that time he had retired from in-ring competition. But here's an example of Gene kind of covering for mistakes being made. Now, it is a little weird at first to hear Ted DiBiase cut a babyface promo, but you'll get what I mean as far as the, the well, mistake. Well, not, 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 not if you watched Old Mid-South, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> take a look at the big picture and take a look at what's really important. You know Gene Okerlund that I grew up in professional wrestling, that my father died in the ring in July of 1969, and I vowed then that I would live up to his name and his reputation and become a star in this business. I did that, but somewhere along the way, I lost track of the things that were really important. I got caught up flying around in Lear jets and limousines and being a big wheel. I used to live by another cliche. Every man has his price. But what that is, is every man pays a price for the choices that he makes. I've made some bad choices. Well, that ends now. The buck stops here. You have seen the error in your ways, Mr. DiBiase. Exactly, Gene. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. And I don't expect the Steiner brothers to just accept me on blind faith. I've got to prove myself to them and to everybody else. And we start at Sturgis Saturday. I start tearing down what I helped build in the NWO by ripping the heart out of the NWO and taking the World Wrestling 
You've got, you're talking That's about right. the new world order. That's right. Paul and Nash, That's WCW right. tag team champions. Right. You're going to start to dismantle the piece by piece. right here know about pride and tradition. They're going to take those titles Saturday. So I think you could hear the obvious flub that Ted DiBiase made. He actually was going to say World Wrestling Federation, and Gene, without missing a beat, kind of stepped in to get things back on track about dealing with the NWO. He even did it before that, when he mm-hmm. he could see that Ted was getting ready to kind of discontinue along that same path line, knowing the time constraints they're under, keeping uh, – promo is sometimes about being concise. He brought him back in by just re- – so you're saying that you paid the price, and then he got him right back on track, and they could move on. So he did it twice in one interview. Mm-hmm. And like you said, this is Ted DiBiase, who is not a guy who was known to get off track a lot, but also, so you know, but he also falls into that category of the guys I mentioned first that Gene was great with, the guys who usually didn't need could keep up with those guys, the guys who didn't need a great interview guy. I mean, some of I think some of everybody's uh, most fondest memories of Gene, at least us hardcore wrestling fans, are you know when he would when he would just little small sayings when a guy that was a great promo would get off, you know, with flair. Now, Richard, you know, he'd say that or something like that to that effect, you know, that, that when, when Flair would go off, because we know how Flair can go off on tangents mm-hmm. on a promo, or, or, or Hogan would get a little crazy and he'd be like, you know, calm down, or something like that. And um, I don't think I could underscore it, it's, it's, well, you've got personalities that big who are so good and mag- magnanimous and over the top on the microphone to just hang with them is, is, is a, that's a, that's a monumental, accomplishment in and of itself you know so mm-hmm. that's that's always what i'm going to remember gene for those two traits he could keep up with the big dogs and he could steer the guys who got lost back on track and that's why he was the greatest interviewer of all time uh, i'm like i said i'm not saying there are other guys that were i think you know Soli was really good at that um uh shivani was pretty good at that in yeah. the old 605 show but both of them would tell you that gene was the master you know of course unfortunately gorge no longer with us either but, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, Tony would definitely tell you that. So, I mean, I think I've heard him say it on his own podcast several times. I mean, it's, it's, it just is what it is. Um, I, I also like the fact that Gene wasn't afraid to, even on a live mic, just be who he is. I, I mean, when you start talking about memorable moments in Gene's career, things people remember, I think everybody remembers, was it the first or second WrestleMania where he was interviewing? I want to say it was the heels. I want to say it was like Piper and Orndorf backstage, and he just looks at the guy off camera and says, put that cigarette out. Was that, yeah. was that, was that, was that Mania 1, I think it was, post, post-show? post I mean, that's just who Gene was, right? That's mm-hmm. great. So, And when you go back to that infamous match where Hogan beat Iron Sheik for his first WWE title, Mean Gene is the one right there getting the first comments when Andre comes in and pours champagne on him and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. That's probably where he's going to be remembered best for is his interview segments that he had during the National Boom period. Because he Mm -hmm. joined right about that same time in late 83, early 84 that Hogan did. Uh, I don't know if Piper would have been there yet, but Piper certainly came in later uh, in in Mm -hmm. 1984. But he was the main interview guy and also hosted several shows over the years. And most of us probably have fond memories. I mean, you know, those pay-per-view cells that he would yep. do or maybe the weekend update or something to that effect where right. he'd talk about the the news from last week and almost always he would say something to the effect of, I cannot believe or you know, right. things are really starting to heat up here. He had that kind of token way of saying that he did do some commentary color not not play-by-play but he pretty much did everything probably except book i guess yeah i mean well you know we've discussed before uh when we talked about capital sports and we've we've discussed different eras in wrestling uh for those that aren't familiar uh and if you're you're not familiar i don't know why you're listening to this show but thank you if you are (laughs) (laughs) the the vince mcmahon jr well, Kennedy McMahon there, he's not really a junior, but I digress again. When Vincent K. McMahon decided to take the company national, he pretty much went to all the territories and handpicked guys from the top guys from those territories to build around this national. And the one promotion that was probably hit the hardest was the AWA. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. he got Piper from from the Carolinas and he got, you know, 
he had the heart the heart guys from Calgary, but he hit the AWA really hard. And everybody wants to talk about Hogan, and yeah, sure. Right behind Hogan, an importance of guys he essentially stole from Vern was Gene. Mm-hmm. Gene was so important to that national expansion that Vince envisioned because of all the things we've been talking about. He looked good in his suit. He looked professionally. He had that radio voice. He looked like a guy who you would see, you know, in that era on ESPN doing Sports Center. He had a, a, an air of believability, very Hollywood, but not Hollywood like glamour, like just. I think you understand, like a newscaster kind of look and voice to him, which Vince was going for that, you know, because he knew that Vince didn't want to be seen as regional anymore. He wanted to be seen as national. And and Gene, all due respect to Tony Schiavone and some of the other guys of that ilk from that era, Gene was the guy. And Vince got him, you know, so Mm -hmm. it just makes sense. It, It worked. I think. He does. He does. He he gets forgotten a lot when people start about well, all the raid, the talent raids that Vince McMahon did when he was going national. They always forget to mention Gene. No, Gene was an extremely important talent raid he got from the AWA, probably second only to Hogan. Mm-hmm. So you know it, it's um you do bring up how he had that ability about him. Of course, that would become infamous, I guess, or, or infamous at worst. Uh, you know, a, a punchline for a joke at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, his 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 real real hard selling of the, the old hotline on WCW when he went there. Uh, Tony Schiavone has talked about it on his podcast, and I had heard about it when I was in the business. Apparently, Gene part of his contract was he got a cut of that, which is part of the reason he pressed it so hard. <laughs> that you makes know. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you know, was it self serving? Sure. But I can tell you from personal experience, wrestling's a bit of a self-serving business. You know, I mean, how many times have you heard me say, put yourself over, kid, because nobody else will, right? <laughs> so, right, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, I can't hate on Gene for doing that. I mean, and it was a revolutionary thing when he was doing it because this is before the internet and fans were wanting to get smart. Um, I don't, I've heard some people kind of throw Gene under the bus in the business going, oh, he's the one that started the trend. Ah. Eh, this is going to sound like an old grizzled vet, but I am. I, I, if the shoe fits, wear it. So I'll wear it. Marks are going to find out anyways. They wanted to know, and a lot of marks knew before then anyway. How the heck did how the heck did the torch and the observer come to be in the eighties? Right. You know, I mean, it was. It, there was always been a subset of wrestling fans that were smart to the business, knew the boys, talked to the boys backstage. Um, the difference between then and now is. Back then, they just didn't say anything to other fans. They respected the guys keeping kayfabe. Now the fans, because of the society we live in, think it's cool to spill the beans, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. so. But you know, I think I think if you've ever wondered why Gene pressed pressed that so hard, that's why he had a mm-hmm. cut of it. That was part of his contract. I mean, it was a significant amount too. I mean, it was a. Like, I mean, it was like thirty five or forty five percent. So I mean, and God, I mean, how were those calls? weren't they like? Were they like? Weren't they like like four ninety nine for the first minute and ninety nine cents every minute after that? So, I mean, it yeah, was like yeah, just something crazy. like that. So I mean, he, I'm pretty sure Gene got a pretty penny off that. I'll, I'll, I'll let's leave it at that. And, and mm-hmm. you know me, you know me because of my because I am one of the boys. I never begrudge any of the boys getting whatever they can get out of promoters. You know that. So right, right. good on you, Gene. <laughs> good on mm-hmm. you, brother. Now his first stint in WWE was about ten years. Mm-hmm. Started in the fall eighty three, maybe early 84 and he actually had left in late 93 i think this was about the time he started having the health issues that that he was going for later because uh he did die in the end of i believe it was kidney failure and Mm. he had gotten some kidney transplants over the years right and when it comes to traveling and such obviously if you have bad kidneys you probably can't travel too much. And Gene himself had said that he had not been offered a contract in 93 from WWE. And I don't see why he would have any reason to, you know, to lie about that. But it's also probably no coincidence that late 93, that's about the time Vince and WWE were pushing their new generation, you know, emphasizing guys like Bret Hart, Lex Luger, Shawn Michaels. So, it's very possible that Vince was not interested in keeping Gene because he might have represented that old guard from 10 years before. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. I can just imagine that if that was the case, it makes sense that Vince would do that 
because it just seems like what he'd do. If he wants to change an image, he's going to change an image. Right. I mean, it's a logical conclusion to draw. I, I, I totally agree. He was definitely the face and the voice of that boom period. And if you are trying to move on from that, well, that's probably one of the people you need to get rid of. And I don't think he fired. He didn't fire you. He just didn't renew his contract. And, of right. course, he was right. – was at retirement age yet. He had a wife, he, children he wanted to support. So, you know, why not go? And, and, and my understanding as far as his hiring at WCW goes is, uh, you know, it was when Flair came back in 93. Was it 90? Yeah, it was 93 when he came yeah, back. Yeah, it was early 93, yeah. And Bischoff got the executive vice president gig. You know, that was one of the guys that Flair championed hard. He was like, you know, if you want to beat Vince – You've got to get some some recognizable faces and names uh, on our show that will draw some of his fans. And Gene was one of the first guys that Flair championed and pushed for. You got to get Gene Oakland. He's available. Go get him. Mm-hmm. You know. So, you know, infamously now we know that Flair also helped facilitate Hogan get making the jump and, and signing with WCW. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it was those were two of the guys that Flair said you got to get him, and so. Flair, who's a pretty smart businessman, uh, not great with his money, but knows the business at least. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was right. It, 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 I think it, it did definitely help WCW look more national, which is what they were trying to do and compete with Vince. Uh, Gene was definitely an important part of that package. But I'd like to, to back up to his WWE run. Um, I know a lot. It's, it's kind of famous amongst the boys. Um, what he did, and it's available on the network. I don't know what to put in the search parameters to find it. But if you remember, part of the deal with WrestleMania, especially the first one, was Vince was pushing the idea of mainstream celebrities being involved. Mm-hmm. You know, to make this, this grand spectacle that, that WrestleMania has become. And one of the celebrities they got was Billy Martin, the infamous um, baseball manager who managed everybody. It was mostly associated with with the Yankees and had a very public love hate relationship with the owner of the Yankees, George Steinbrenner. Um, Gene was sent on location. So they did a series of vignettes um, on the WWF did a series of vignettes on their shows leading up to WrestleMania one, where they were interviewing a lot of the celebrities who were involved, which the first one was like Liberace, Billy Martin, of course, Cindy Lauper. Ali's um, in there somewhere. Yes. Yes. And so, Billy's vignette was taped, I believe, the time he was living in the Bay Area or maybe Los Angeles. I mean, he was I think he was managing a West Coast team at the time. And they they flew a film crew out there. It was just like a cameraman and and, and a tech and Gene to do this interview. And now, I mean, the the in the business, the the stories of Gene's ability to to drink and drink long into the night and still be comprehensible or legendary. I mm-hmm. mean, the guy did hang with Ric Flair. Okay, I'll just I'll leave it at that. Okay. But but <laughs> but when they got there, Billy wanted to meet him at like this Oceanside bar and Billy was soused. I mean, everybody, the, the three, I mean, Gene has said this. And so as the cameraman and the, and the tech guy, he was lit. I mean, like 15 sheets to the wind, but you can go and see the interview and you never know. And it's not because Billy Martin was so good at hiding being drunk. Everybody said it was Gene was such a damn good interviewer. He, that steering a guy on course we're talking about. They said it had, I've heard so many guys say if it, if it hadn't have been for for Gene Okerlund, that segment would have just been waste. You mm-hmm. know, he's the one that saved it. He's the one that just he knew how to interview Billy. He knew how to to deal with a guy that was drunk like that and made it an entertaining and um, intelligent interview that was good PR for Billy Martin's you know uh, appearance on this upcoming big show. So. Right there is a great example of 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 what G could do as an interviewer. If you can take a guy who's that famous, and Billy Martin, if for those that are younger than me and Seth, Billy Martin was as big a celebrity as they got in the sports world in the late seventies to mid eighties. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those cases where I had known the name, and I really, as far as baseball goes, was only watching the Cubs at the time, and I right. knew that name probably right. because of the Yankees <laughs> Association. There you go. So this guy's as big a sports celebrity as there is in that era, and he's drunker and I don't know what. And this guy salvaged an interview that was really, really good. So that's how good Gene Okerlund was. He, mm-hmm. he essentially saved that spot. 
The, the other question I wonder about when we're talking about this WWF run, I don't remember, but one of his most famous, once again, besides to put that cigarette out, was the famous dropping of the F-bomb. That was a Survivor Series, wasn't it? Close. It was SummerSlam. It was actually the next thing on the okay. list I was going to talk about. You know? and so but, when, when, what year was that 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 happened? That was uh, late 89. It would have been the second SummerSlam. Did that actually make it to live air? Yes, yes, it did. And Gene himself had actually told the story that what had happened was they did a pre-tape. A lot of promos, even on the supposed live pay-per-views, are going to be pre-taped just so they can fit them into whatever they need to. And that was, of course, a blooper. It wasn't meant to make the air, but according to Gene, the person in the production truck saw the tape didn't know it was the wrong one, or maybe he didn't. It was a rib. I mean, I wouldn't put it past somebody like like this <laughs> to do that. But that was the wrong tape that played. And there's that awkward silence if you watch the actual pay-per-viewed feed of the broadcast. Because I remember I had the VHS for a while back in the day. And that, of course, was not on the VHS. They would have cleared that out. <laughs> yeah, they edited that out. <laughs> right, right. I would say he was interviewing Rick Rude, I think, when it happened, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, it was Rick Rude. Obviously, I can't play that clip because it's, uh, <laughs> you know, because of the blue language. Like I said, the F-bomb. But there is another take of that out there. I don't know how it made it to the Internet. It could be, again, somebody might have just had access to something that was on a pay-per-view feed or something. But if you listen closely, when that sign drops, you actually do hear Vince very briefly. You hear Vince say something like, nice move or smart move or something like that. You're, I know what you're talking about. You hear off camera because he's not on camera. And it's right. just, I mean, well, Vince has a very distinctive voice, you know, so <laughs> that was uh, good, good yeah. stuff. If you're going to blame somebody in the truck, just blame Kevin Dunn. Everybody else does. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> might be the most polarizing man in professional wrestling. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that is because wrestling is just filled with guys that are polarizing. And Kevin Dunn might be the most polarized. You've got guys like Jr. And, and Steve Austin absolutely singing his praises every chance they get on a national outlet. And then you got guys like Jim Cornette and, and others just burying him every chance they get. So mm-hmm. that's as polarizing as it gets, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was the other infamous blooper that actually Gene did not do, He, but he flows right along with it. And probably just about every modern wrestling fan that has access to the internet has seen this because it's on YouTube and has millions and millions of hits. And that's the infamous promo that Booker T cut going into a (laughs) four-way match, I think it was, with him, Stevie Ray, I think it was Luger and the Giant as well, uh, with the winner getting a title shot at Hogan. And of course, Booker's cutting his intense promo and ends with, you know, Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, you know, bad word. In bomb. Yeah, yeah, the N-word. <laughs> and Booker instantly knows he screwed up because uh, you see he kind of face palms himself and you see Sherry looking like she is about to crack up big time. I mean, she's putting on that nice, pretty smile that Sherry had. Gene completely no sells it, acts nope. like it didn't even happen. And he turns to Stevie Ray and just keeps going. I think that's and Steve. Stevie Ray couldn't even look at the camera. He was laughing so hard. Remember, he turned his head completely away. And Gene's like, what do you got to say about that, Stevie Ray? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that. Just, that completely no-sold it. Right. And to me, that is probably almost as funny, if not as funny, as the Booker's mi- mix-up. <laughs> you know, is the fact that he, he totally no-sells it. Yeah. It, you ever want to see Booker? Well, Booker smiles a lot anyways. He's a pretty happy guy. Bring that up to Booker. He'll all, he laughs yeah. at himself about it now. What can you do, right? right. What can you do? And I heard so, Hogan <laughs> laughed out loud about it too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's it. That is that is one of the biggest biggest flubs ever in the history of wrestling. And Gene was involved in it. But everybody in wrestling just it's funny. We love mm-hmm. it. I, it. We've all done promos, of course. Whether it's you're the big time guys doing them on a big show like that to the long little independent guys like me, everybody we've all cut promos in front of a live crowd or in front of a live mic, and we've made a mistake or two. So you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, we we can laugh with and at Booker at the same time, if that makes any sense. And the fact that Gene no-sold it just makes it even more classic. Right. But he did move to WCW in, in late 93. I know we brought up Flair, but it's possible Hogan may have had something to do with that deal as well. Because, I mean, about this time, 
before Hogan actually debuted in WCW, I believe Pro Wrestling Illustrated did run with a cover story that showed Hogan, Flair, and Jimmy Hart on the same cover, in the same room, essentially, like they're making this big stable or like they're, they're hatching some sort of plan. And, of course, at the time, Hogan probably was not under contract to WWE and was oh. doing Thunder in Paradise. But uh, not long after that, Gene did show up in WCW. And, of course, WCW was known for having a lighter schedule than WWE. Oh, yes. and, I, and I believe at this time they were doing most of their taping in Florida around, I think, MGM Grand or, or Disney or wherever it was. That's where they did a lot of their weekend show filming. Am I, am I correct in that? That is very, very true. Yeah. It was just, it, it was good and bad. It was great for the company because they could have a production crew right there. I mean, it was, you know, and all the stuff was there. Um, but the problem you ran into was you had crowds that weren't wrestling fans who were just trying to get out of the Florida heat. So, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, Bischoff was the one that, and, and with Hogan's help that facilitated that particular occurrence, you know, and, mm-hmm. and believe me, everybody in the business likes Florida. <laughs> yeah. We all like to tan and you don't have to go to a tanning bed in Florida. And yeah. no matter what your sexual preference or orientation is, there's good looking men and women down there. And oh yeah, by the way, there's no tax, there's no property taxes either if you want to move down there. So there's <laughs> a lot of advantages to Florida. I think Chris Nelson brought that up. We had him on as a guest, being a native Floridian mm-hmm. himself. It's just, I've I've often said if the state of Florida was to break off the continental United States and sink into the ocean, the wrestling business would be over because about seventy percent of all the brothers that we know, both independents and name guys, live in the state of Florida. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. So you know. <laughs> Eddie Graham was on to something. You know, Eddie Graham was on to something. Anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, on screen, uh, Gene had a lot of the same duties in WCW that he did in WWE. He was the interview guy again. He'd do the pay-per-view plugs. He'd do the hotline plugs. And I think he stayed with WCW pretty much until the, the closure of the company. Uh, I did hear a story after the fact because he had disappeared from programming for a while. I think they had Mike Tanay doing the interviews at the time. And I think some of that was also related to his health issues, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he uh, had the kidney troubles we talked about as well, but according to news sites at the time, he had also sent feelers out to WWE around that time, but didn't hear anything back, so he, he just you know resigned with, with WCW. Resigned. Yeah. Wasn't like Turner was hurt. Wasn't like Turner was. Well, at that point, Turner didn't have a lot of control. But before that, Turner didn't have any problems signing checks. We know that. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I think, for, especially for our younger listeners, they don't know the WWF, and they especially don't know the AWA stuff. Their memories are going to be the WCW version of Gene. Mm-hmm. So you know, there. I mean, once again, we talked key moments. We did a whole show on on the on the the birth of the NWO. Who was the guy in the ring doing the interview when Hogan did the famous New World Order? promo mm-hmm. who was the guy holding the microphone gino it was Gene. Gene. yeah yeah whenever flair would come back except for that one time that arm was the guy holding the mic every time flair would leave wcw and come back who was the guy holding the mic interviewing rick flair gene it was gene yeah i mean it just so many of the of the of the, the critical moments in the in the you know the run for wcw when they were on top gene was the guy doing the promos or the guy doing the interviews so once again another boom period and he's the face and the voice again right Mm-hmm. I know Flair has gone on record and talked about in that time period where he was, you know, leaving and coming back because he's having all the issues with Eric Bischoff and Gene was gone and then came back because he'd had the kidney transplant. He's joked. I think he even joked at his Hall of Fame induction. That if it wasn't for uh, sitting at the bar drinking martinis all night with Gene Okerlund, he would have gone crazy. He helped, as, as he put it, he helped, Gene called his his new kidney his new bean, which I, you know. Anybody that has an organ transplant and have a sense of humor about it, it's a pretty cool dude, in my opinion. So in 2001, WWE buys out WCW, and the Monday Night War comes to an end. And Gene did continue to work for WWE. He made it into the Hall of Fame, of course. But his main duties were doing some of the special interview shows like some of the stuff you can probably find it on the network now i think it was like their legends roundtable or wrestling legends or something to that effect mm-hmm. and he would kind of MC those he'd do the confidential uh, investigative report stuff but probably most famously he and bobby heenan 
essentially making their returns to the company on the same night at WrestleMania 17. They called that gimmick Battle Royal, which right. know, we all know who won and, and why he won. But, um, <laughs> you know, that was, Bless yeah, at, at, at that time, that was a lot of fans' Childhood. return to Gene, so to speak. You know, because you, you did, when he came out, he actually did get a pretty warm reception from the crowd. Sure. And, and you know, for a guy who was known to be an interviewer, I didn't think he did that bad as a color guy. Did you? Or he was actually more of a play to play, and Bobby was the Bobby was more the color guy. But I thought he did okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think he did fine. I do recall For hearing his commentary on so again some of the VHSs that I'd rented over the years. I think he did mainly the stuff that would have been on the the tapes you'd get at the video store or something to that effect. But and, and mm-hmm. but in those cases, he was more of a color guy. Also, they would bring him out in a, in a second run with WWE. They'd bring him out for the. Uh, nostalgia shows, you know, the the old school Raw or whatever. Uh, right. I think his last appearance for the company, he interviewed AJ Styles, which I think is probably the only time he interviewed AJ Styles, unless there's a time in, in WCW. But uh, it's kind of fitting that one of his final appearances, it's not the final appearance, not counting Legends House, uh, he interviewed the guy who was kind of that generation's top guy. Yeah, yeah, the, the the guy that essentially would become a, a cornerstone for wrestling during that early 2000s era. Around that same time, I remember before Lawler took over as the host of the Hall of Fame ceremony, he was, Gene was, uh, especially those early ones before they did the big to-do like they do now. Of course, one of my favorite Hall of Fame was Bobby Heenan's induction. He was emceeing that one. You know, the one where they would have the, the inductees sitting behind, you know, up on a dais there on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, he was the perfect guy for that too, you know, um, to, to hear him once again, his timing impeccable and that Bobby, the Heenan, Bobby, the brain Heenan one where, you know, Bobby's done this great speech, got us all to cry talking about gorilla, got the big standing. Oh, cause it's Bobby Heenan and he's great. And then jeans goes to, you know, continue on with his job as the MC. And then Bobby, because he's a comedic genius stands up and, looks at Gene and says, well, wait a second, wait a second, cuts him off and says, are we getting paid for this? And once again, Gene <laughs> no-sells it and goes, no. <laughs> and then Bobby said, okay, okay, I'm going to drink then. <laughs> and he sits yeah. down and starts drinking. And once again, I, mean, I think we've talked about every great, every great comedy team. We've talked about it off mic. Every great comedy team has a, 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 you know, a straight man. Mm-hmm. Gene was the straight man for a lot of these over-the-top characters yeah. by no-selling stuff. And I mean – he, right there, he was a straight man for Bobby the Brain Heenan, you know. And uh, by the way, those two had we, we've talked about Flair and Hogan a lot, and, and the dynamics he had with those two guys. He had a great dynamic with Bobby Heenan too. I know Bobby's <laughs> more known for his his work with with Gorilla, but Gene and, and Bobby had great chemistry. I thought too. I'm sure you agree. Yeah, they did a lot of the syndicated shows hosting. The, the two of <laughs> them were they're essentially standing in front of a green screen and kind of introducing stuff. Well, didn't they do some of those vignettes as well, where like Bobby'd always make get like you know pie in the face type stuff on the yeah. old like Tuesday night? I thought so. Yeah, I remember when Bobby made his WCW debut. I think it was on a Clash, and Bobby Heenan walks out for the first time for WCW, and Mean Gene, without even missing a beat, obviously in real life he knew Bobby was coming out, but without missing a beat, he just says. Bobby Heenan, I don't get you're like following me around wherever I go now because of course Bobby was in AWA in WWE <laughs> they, and WCW around the same time Gene right, was right, right. So <laughs> there you go, and it worked in all three companies. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. and like I said before, probably my favorite memories were doing the interviews and the uh, the weekend updates. But another perfect example, I think, uh, is. He was able to react to what was happening because it was around the time Piper became the authority figure in WCW, I think. And Piper pulls out this supposed legal sheet of paper and right away, like it's the most pressing thing to do, Gene pulls his reading glasses out of his pocket, puts them on, and he takes a good long look with the paper and he confirms this is what's going on. He, He went those little steps farther so to speak they may not seem like big things but they are i think just doing all the little things like he is totally devoted to whatever action is happening right now does that make sense oh yeah oh yeah 
Um, my fondest memory uh, that's not personal of, of Gene, and I'll get to my personal Gene stories in a little while, um, was around that same era. And it was one of those times when Flair came back. I think you remember the one when Flair stripped down to with the, how many times Flair stripped down a million times in the ring. But anyway, <laughs> it was one of the times that Ric Flair stripped down another but his underwear. And Gene just like, don't do it. You know, you, I think you remember the one I'm talking about. That was the one where he handcuffed himself to the top. Where Flair handcuffed himself to the top rope, demanding Bischoff come out and fight him. And just mm-hmm. Gene's just absolutely priceless in that segment. You know, just like, don't Flair, don't. Oh, my goodness. That's, you know, the way he sold things when he did yeah. sell. We could get taken off 10, the air 000. or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you did $10,000 watch. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that guy, what's that? Just, I, you know, Flair, when he was, when he went up to WW, WWF in the early 90s, because he'd had enough of Jim Hurd, <laughs> um, he would ask guys, look at this guy. This guy is, looks like a million bucks. He's got a voice of smooth as silk. He could do anything. He could be, he could be, he could be John Madden's partner in the booth for the NFL. He could be, you know, he could be with Joe Gary Jola or Harry Carey in the booth on, mm-hmm. on major league baseball. He could be calling anything. He could be on ESPN. He could, heck, he could be uh, an anchor, you know, like a Cronkite or a Dan Rather. Why is he here? Why, you know, and, and the, all the guys said, cause he just loves wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think that love showed, you know, I think that Gene, I agree with Flair. Gene had the look and the voice and the background to, he could have easily been a national sports or newscaster had he so chose, but he loved wrestling. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I mean, like I said, it was, it was well known. Gene liked to drink, um, he wasn't a womanizer. Like you pointed out earlier, he stayed married to his wife, but he did enjoy, I think he enjoyed the camaraderie of the boys that you, he would not have gotten otherwise. I don't think Gene liked to travel a whole lot, but he did enjoy traveling when he did it. And he enjoyed just going to the bars and hanging out with the boys. That's my take on it. And you know, I'll, I'll, I'll back that up with my own personal story about Gene and drinking in a little while. But anyways, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think Gene is one of those guys, we talk every so often when we talk about some of these guys' careers, that there's people that might have heat, and there's people that love and adore, and Mm -hmm. I would be surprised if there was anybody that had heat with Gene Okerlund. I certainly haven't heard of any. I haven't, and I was in the business. The closest I think you'll get is Tony Schiavone jokingly, you know, kind of pick on him about shilling shilling for the, the, the... hotline because he but he also knew that why he was doing it because he was getting a kickback you know so mm-hmm. but to, that that that's you know and that's also once again i can tell you as a podcaster myself tony does that on his podcast because he's trying to make his podcast entertaining you know he's right. throwing a little bit of comedic stuff in there and then tony shivani is a very funny guy actually so i i think it's said with a with a with a, a wink wink and a smile it's it there's no there's no ill will or malice involved when Tony says that. And he's the, that's the only example I can think of. So when the only example you can think of is somebody just joking about you, wink, wink, to make good comedy for their own show, yeah, that's saying something. Because believe me, there's a lot of people got heat with me, and I was a nobody in wrestling. So, yeah. mean, <laughs> it's hard to get out of that business and not have heat with somebody. It's just this what it is. Um, and Gene's one of those guys. You know, he just mm-hmm. didn't have heat. Everybody liked Gene. I think, you know, it's 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 funny – because I've heard Jr. talk about this, and I've heard Shivani talk about this. Uh, I heard the the late great Lance Russell talk about this. Um, a lot of the boys would quote unquote suck up to guys like Gene Okerlund and, and these other announcers, thinking that that uh, you know, oh, if I if I've come buddy buddy with them, they're going to make me look better on camera. Well, no, the great ones and Gene was a great example of this. Gene made everybody look good. You didn't have to kiss up to him to do it. It was his job, and he was professional. You mm-hmm. know. His job was to was and I and I think that that's another reason Gene was so good. Gene did not have an agenda. He wasn't trying to get himself over. He was he understood his job was to make the talent look good and to get the talent over. And he did. When you think of all the great announcers and people that are just voices in wrestling, all the people we've talked about already, you know, the Lance Russells, the the Gordon Solis, the Jim Rosses, the you know, all these guys are Tony Schiavone's, the Bob Coddles, all these guys we've talked about. Gene gets thrown in there, even though he wasn't an announcer like them, because all of them did what you're supposed to do. They got the boys over. They didn't get themselves over. 
And, and the fact that Gene could do this with so many guys, and we're talking about his timing, he understood part of Bobby's shtick was the comedy, so he played a straight man for him. He understood somebody like Ted DiBiase needed to be taken seriously, so he he steers him back on course in that. Every every example, it's, it's a thousand different ways he's doing it, but everyone's an example of him getting the boys over, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about, you know? He is also another one of those guys, when I say ambassador he would be an example of a great ambassador to the sport and he is one of those guys that kind of puts him in that category say somebody like john cena or somebody like that where he could go on say good morning america or the tonight show or something like that he would be uh-huh. entertaining and wrestling fans could look at that and be proud that they're wrestling fans and somebody who doesn't care about wrestling could see that and say hey maybe maybe not all of these wrestling people are are dumb. Maybe yeah, there are some nice are, ones are, out there, right? And you know, I'm I'm always shocked that he didn't do more of that, or wasn't. I don't know if it's because he he didn't want to, or was just never asked. I I tend to believe it was probably the latter, not the former. Yeah, you yeah, know? I think you're right. And so I wonder. I, I know this: if I was running a national company and Gene Okerlund was one of my guys, and I he would be one of the guys I would send. Okay, just because I know that he would deliver on all the points you just brought up. He's going to look good in a suit, and he's not going to embarrass the company or the business as a whole. And at the end of the day, he's going to do exactly what I just talked about. He's going to get the event and the boys over, not himself. So mm-hmm. Now, he spent those final years in semi-retirement, you might say. He did have his hamburger restaurant. Now, was that a chain, or was that one play, one building, or did he have more than one? I, or, I have no idea. I, okay. I don't know. If it was a, ch- it might have been a chain, but it'd been like a like maybe like two or three locations. If anything, you follow what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Right, right. He was still living in Minneapolis at the time of his death, correct? Or had he moved relocated to Florida? I, I think can't remember. He had moved to Florida by that time. Let me double check. Okay, but I believe he may have been living in Sarasota, Florida. I believe around which, of course, is where mm-hmm. Randy Savage was built from for so many years. Right. And if he did move there, uh, you know, you can't really blame him because for all the reasons we... Just listed. <laughs> right, right. Actually, uh, apparently I saw Sarasota. Apparently there's a Sarasota in Ohio as well as Florida. So ah, there you go. So he was he was still a Midwest boy to the end then, huh? Yeah, certainly seems that way. Born in South Dakota, spent most of his life in Minneapolis and died in Ohio. That's about as Midwestern as it gets. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a few personal interactions with Gene. Uh, obviously, he probably wouldn't been able to pick me out of a lineup. Uh, he sees so many faces and names, and but uh, the f- one of the first, I guess I've been wrestling maybe a year, two, maybe a year or two, uh, and and we got through the Italian Stallion, my tag team partner and myself, and a few other guys that were based, you know, Charlotte, Greenville, this area of the Carolinas. Uh, they got us booked uh, doing enhancement work for WCW. And this is back when they were doing. The stuff at the center center stage, you know, they're on Peachtree in downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And after the show, I want to say it was Randy Pee Wee Anderson and might have somebody else, but they or maybe it was Sullivan. But one of them, one of the guys informed us that hey, if you if you want to just chill out with some of the boys, we're going to be a bunch of us are going to be at you know they told us the location. It was a it was a hotel bar near the airport, and we went and. And me and these guys from this area, we all went in, five of us, we went in together. And uh, some of the guys recognized us from backstage and were nice to us. And uh, we, you know, just sailed up to the bar to order drinks. And within five, ten minutes, Gene just slid into a, a booth or slid into a bar stool right next to us and just started talking to us. And was as charming as you think he would be, you know. He had a martini in his hand, and it never seemed to be empty. So uh, <laughs> the, 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 the rumors were true about his liking martinis, that's for sure. And uh, he was, you know, he was he was cool. He talked to us like he actually cared about us. It's very offensive in the wrestling business to ask somebody who trained you, okay? But there is a way to do it, and it's not offensive. And he was able to do that, you know. Where did we get our training and stuff? And we got to talking, and he'd had a few, so he was. He, he wasn't like sloppy drunk, but it was obvious he had a nice little buzz going. We could tell as the night went on. And as we talked about training, we asked him about the um, the power plant. I cannot repeat 
<laughs> I cannot repeat what he said, but it was hilarious. It's this we don't have the explicit tag on this on this show, but he was just brutally honest about it. it was just a money making scam for Turner, you know. And and as you and I discussed that off mic, we got to count and there was like maybe only like four guys that ever came out of there that actually became anything. So I guess Gene was wanting lying, you know. Right. But um <laughs> he was just really, really funny and 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 sincere and uh, I, you know, just he was he was a just a nice, cool guy to sit there and talk to. And we didn't talk just about wrestling to him. We talked to him for a, almost an hour. We talked about you know uh, fishing. We talked about sports. We talked about current events. He was just a cool old dude, you know. And and it's like I'm thinking as I'm leaving the bar that night, I had completely kind of forgotten about wrestling. That was the same night that Flair got the, the business women to get up on the table and dance without their shirts on but that's another story for another episode <laughs> but um that was the first time i party with flair oh good lord it took three years off my life but um <laughs> his reactions to some of flair's machinations that night were classic too gene just kind of shake his head and go oh boy but uh <laughs> but but gene was as i'm walking out of the bar i'm sitting there thinking not thinking about wrestling at all i'm thinking about dude when i'm his age i hope i'm that cool <laughs> you know, I, 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 that's one of the biggest compliments you could give somebody, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. But that was, I mean, I had a few other interactions with him when we went back to work for WCW. Um, he remembered, he couldn't remember our names, but he remembered who we were. You know, I, I, I met you. What was your, you know, he was real cool about it. But just every time I had interaction, which was probably three, four times tops, he was always personable, charming, you know, um, affable, just a funny guy with a great wit and sense of humor about him. Uh, what you saw on camera wasn't that far off from the real man for at least the real man that I interacted with a few times I did, you know, and, um, I think he was very charming on camera. So you can get an idea of how charming he was behind the camera, a little mm-hmm. more blue and he had a little alcohol in him that one time. So maybe that's understandable, you know, but, uh, I can't say anything bad about the man. And, and, and that, that's rare in the wrestling business. Cause even as much as I love some of the guys we talk about here on classic wrestling memories, I can point out some of their foibles or shortcomings, and I don't really have any for Gene. Except mm-hmm. he liked to drink a lot, and there's he's a grown man; he had the right. So you know, mm-hmm. I know it may be cliche to say it as we start winding down here, but in this case, it does fit that the world's probably never going to have another Gene Okerlund, and uh, I can't see how there could be because he was kind of his own unique style, as we've talked about here, and. Uh, I just, I really wish, and I don't really want to sound like I'm griping here, and I'm going to be preaching to the choir a little bit, but it's one of the things that is lacking in a lot of wrestling now is that interview guy that seems to kind of ask the questions that the fans would have on their minds, especially when it comes to dealing with a heel. It goes back to that time in 1996 when Hogan turned and all the junk was filling up, and... Gene was able to ask that question, you know, look at all this this crap in the ring or something to that effect. What do you have to say for it? And, of course, Hogan ran with it from there with that excellent promo of his. And just the way he did all those little things, like I said before, uh, it adds up to one of the most unique characters, not even just people, but, but you know, the character, as you just said, wasn't very far from the person, but it's still made for a one-of-a-kind character. I mean, does that... Does, am I making sense there? Oh yeah, totally, totally. Um, I, I'll let you have the last word. I, I saw. I'll leave with this: as a guy who grew up in the '80s, a massive wrestling fan who was so motivated uh, by wrestling and so inspired by it, he he desired to become one himself and, and did. And even with some of the fallout from the the physical toll my body took, I think it's obvious to you and all our listeners i i cherish wrestling still and and i cherish my years in the ring um stop and think what made a person do that well it had to be those that inspired him it had to be those that you know and think about when i was a kid when i was a teenager it was all the 80s wrestling that really it's, it's why we do classic wrestling memories it's the era i'm most fond of it's nostalgic for me um gene was a major major part of that so he did he directly inspire me to want to become a wrestler? No, but he was definitely an important part of it. You know, he was part of that whole package that made me want to get into this crazy business. And um, for that, you know, I'll always internally be indebted to, to not just him, to everybody from his era and before that. 
but you know he he was a, a, a such a key figure in the time that that made me want to become a wrestler um and as you get older um i i'm i'm discovering as i'm getting older you look back at those things and you can think about them a little bit clearer and realize somebody you didn't think had an influence or an impact on you probably did and i think that's where gene probably falls for me personally you know i never thought until he passed away the kind of impact he had on on me as a person and as a wrestler and, and my desires to do it and my love of the business. And I was, well, this guy was pretty important. And, and I thank him for that. And, and, um, I, 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 I cherish the, the, the few times we got to interact. They're, they're very fond memories of my wrestling career. So may you rest in peace, brother. And, and, and of course, condolences to your family. So I'll leave you with the last word now, Seth. Yeah. I don't think I could put it any better than you did, but certainly, you know, the, warmest sympathies and uh, thoughts, prayers, and wishes to the Oakland family. And I think Jeremy Borash is probably somebody that would probably be most inspired by somebody like Gene, because he had said uh, on, it was either Facebook or Twitter or one of, the, one of the public forums, he had said that he grew up loving wrestling, but didn't want to necessarily be a wrestler. He wanted to be uh, a host or a interview guy or something to that effect. So I think it's fair to say that people like Jeremy Borash and possibly even people like, um, you know, Sean Mooney and such, that they probably, certainly in Mooney's t- case, probably personally took pointers from Gene as far as carrying themselves. But I don't think there's a single person that got involved in wrestling that didn't have at least some memorable moment that they saw Gene Okerlund have on TV or in the arena or something to that effect. And that's probably the best way I can put it. And we certainly would like to hear all of your stories or thoughts or memories, because this is classic wrestling memory. So folks, if you're listening to this and want to join in on the fun, definitely let us know. We are on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, and really just about any of the podcasting devices out there, your podcatcher of choice, so to speak. If you do a search for Classic Wrestling Memories, you'll find us. You definitely want to give us a follow, give us a like, wherever you're seeing us at. Give us feedback. I always welcome feedback. As I say, even if it's negative, if it's genuine, I will take it to heart and be very grateful for it. And give us a ranking, give us give us a review. And if you want to be in touch with us on the social media, the website is, of course, ClassicWrestlingMemories.com. The Facebook page has been updated. The Facebook is at Behind the Squared Circle. And the podcast Twitter is TWBP Show, because we are part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. Anything you want to talk about, if there's something you want to hear us talk about, in the future for Classic Wrestling Memories, the general rule of thumb is anything before the buyout of WCW. Essentially, anything Monday Night War, 2001 back. Monday Night War or before is fair game. We definitely want to hear from you. I can be reached at Seth at a1-wrestling.com. Join us on social media and train. If people want to get a hold of you, where can they do so? They can always find me. <clears throat> On Twitter at crazy train underscore JB. Um, I don't tweet out a lot, but I respond to any tweets I get. Um, I'm also available on Spotify to follow if you want to get an idea of the kind of music the crazy train listens to. That is also the same. It's crazy train underscore JB. Uh, I welcome any uh, interaction with our listeners. Um, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I know I'm opinionated, but I don't argue, I debate. So if that's what you're looking for, you're barking up the wrong tree, but I don't think many of our listeners are that way. They're pretty smart people. Absolutely. So thank you folks for listening. Let us know how we're doing, and we will talk to you folks again in another edition of Classic Wrestling Memories. Classic Wrestling Memories is part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests are purely their own and do not reflect the opinions of ClassicWrestlingMemories.com, BehindTheSquaredCircle.com, the Wrestling Brethren Network, or any affiliates. Some media used by Classic Wrestling Memories 
may be the copyright of its respective owners. All rights reserved. My distinguished guest from the Middle East, he's from Persia, from Iran. He is Sheikh Alahani, Khosrow Vasari, the Iron Sheik. Anybody that knows wrestling knows that it's synonymous with the Iron Sheik. Welcome back to the beautiful South Florida area here in Miami. Thank you very much, Jim Min, intelligent American intelligent Miami city, all American resting city, people like you always tell the mean sheik, welcome to the Miami. Now, all of the sons, young punk American, come to the WWF, toughest, roughest area in the world, and he beat bunch American, and he makes a name for himself. Exactly. You know who I'm talking about, I know, right? exactly. Exactly, now. Miami, all intelligent American, Italian, my Banzan, Iranian, all Jewish people, yeah. intelligent Jew like yourself, they know about the Aaron Sheik. They know who's the Aaron Sheik. They have the, the from John F. Kennedy Airport to the Los Angeles, California, they know who's the Aaron Sheik. Now. Corporal Kirshner. Corporal Kirshner. Forever. Last time you was lucky, that blonde was your partner. Danny Spivey. Exactly. This time just you and I. Precisely. Exactly. You better get ready. Because she born ready. Cameraman. Zoom. Zoom it. Thank you. Miami's Night Center, Monday, April 28th. I love how Shiki called him Gene Mean. Gene Mean. Gene Mean. <laughs>